Welcome to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm your hostess, Janine Strong, and today's conversation is with Whitley Strieber. Is it Strieber or Striber? Strieber. Okay, I wanted to make sure. Okay. Whitley has a new book out titled The Afterlife Revolution. I've read it and it's wonderful, so I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Whitley Strieber is the author of over 40 works of both fiction and nonfiction, and some of his books have been turned into movies. His sci-fi series, Alien Hunter, became the sci-fi channel series, Hunters. After a near-death experience, Whitley's wife, Anne, became an expert in afterlife studies. She wanted to find a way to contact those who had passed, And in doing so, she developed a rather ingenious plan to connect with her husband after her own passing. And it just so happens that this plan was implemented and executed just an hour and a half after she died. In a truly exciting and astounding way, Whitley began to communicate with his beloved wife, Anne, once again, only this time from two different worlds. The Afterlife Revolution defines the truth that we are light itself, and through enlightenment, we can build a relationship between the living and the dead. Thank you, Whitley, for coming on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, me too, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, We'll just let the listeners know this is our second stab at having a conversation we uh, had electrical snafus on the first one, and I'm glad everything worked out for this conversation. <laughs> yes, me too. Um, that's, I think, probably a lot of your listeners are nodding because in the lives of all of us who are sort of treading this edge, mm-hmm. uh, there's plenty of electronic interference I can have here in my house what I call electronic seizures, <laughs> where, where the computer goes crazy, the lights turn on and off, mm-hmm. and once turned itself off and wouldn't turn on again. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm in the middle of working. I'm going to take this right into the shop. This was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I took it down to the car and put it in the trunk, turned on the car, and the car went Berserk, the electronic dashboard started flashing on and off. The <laughs> speedometer started racing up and down between oh zero goodness. and 100, all back and forth, back and forth. The lights started flashing. The alarm system started going bzz, bzz, bzz. <laughs> And in Annie's time when she was with me, she would have said, Whitley, just calm down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I took her advice and I just calmed down and the car eventually went completely dark and wouldn't start. (laughs) So strangely enough, my cell phone was still working. So I called AAA and the man came out and put, sat in the driver's seat and pressed the power button and the car started. (laughs) And he said, well, what was the matter with it? (laughs) And I thought like, Goodness, what an idiot I must look like. All he did was just turn it on. When I tried to, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he went away and I took the computer in and got fixed by plugging it in. Honestly, isn't that, I I know what you're saying. So I went back home with my computer and my car and everything was fine. That's mm-hmm. That's an electronic seizure. Well, I would, I guess if it were me, I probably would have looked at it as, well, maybe I'm not supposed to do this right now. And <laughs> maybe I'm supposed to take a nap. <laughs> I think I'm too stubborn. <laughs> ah. once, once I get my mind on something, I'm, I'm doing it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that has its, that has its pluses because I'm sure you get a lot done and you accomplish a lot. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed, that's true. (laughs) So, Whitley, I'd like to start with how did you become interested in all of this? I I know some of our listeners will have read Communion, your first book. Uh, I believe it was your first book anyway. 
in, let's see, that was published, what, 87, I think? 87, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I have to tell you, I go back a long way. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not talking to a man who feels old. But that is not necessarily what I am. My first book was published in uh, 1978. Okay. It was called The Wolfen. So mm-hmm. I was well into my career when I published Communion in 1987. Now, as to what happened, that we have to then go back to the, to the years after Communion was published when two things began to happen. Mm-hmm. The first one was that we started receiving an enormous amount of mail. This is before email. Mm -hmm. So we got letter after letter in the thousands and then tens of thousands. And finally, in the hundreds of thousands. Really? To the point where the apartment was filled (laughs) with letters and the post office was sending a truck around every day. Oh my goodness. And they were leaving these bags and bags of mail in the house. And I was completely overwhelmed, but Anne, nothing overwhelmed Anne. She was Mm. a person who, you know, when something was put before her, a a challenge, she responded by doing her best Mm -hmm. at whatever, however much she could, she did. Mm -hmm. And so she started opening these letters and reading them and putting them into different stacks depending upon the subject matter or whether or not it was just, many of them were just saying, well, best wishes and it was a wonderful book and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Those we we just put aside. And eventually she hired a secretary, someone she had found in one of the letters who happened to live just down the street from us and was a wonderful secretary and was with us for 15 years. Uh Uh-huh. And who also had experiences with other people at our cabin. Mm-hmm. And that's the second part of what happened to, to awaken me, as it were, to the presence of the dead. Or mm-hmm. to, to make me realize that what was going on here. Um, whenever we had, we, we would have groups of people up to the cabin. Because the little beings with the dark black eyes that are portrayed on the cover of communion would come if we had groups there. They liked just to have groups. And so we would have these groups and we would always be able to tell when they would show up. Annie was the first to point out uh, her secretary, Laurie Barnes, was taking a walk on the road one afternoon when we had a pretty big group there. And she saw, encountered her brother. Mm -hmm. And now, that would seem fairly unusual. Why would he have followed her out there? Well, it was really very unusual because he'd been gone. He'd gone missing 10 years before and been declared dead. Oh my. So she said to him, my God, Oh, please come down and meet my friends. He was just as solid looking as you and me. Oh wow. And he said, I just wanted to tell you that I'm all right. And he drifted back into the woods and disappeared. So she came down to the house in a state of shock and said, what happened? And Anne said quietly to me, the visitors will be here tonight. Mm -hmm. And they were. They came. And we found that very often, either when they came or before they came, people, someone, one or more people would have encounters with dead friends and relatives. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And this caused me to remember something that had happened to me during my first encounter with them in December of 85, which is that there was a friend there uh, who had been in the Central Intelligence Agency. I'd lost track of him when he entered the CIA, of course. We, we were school friends. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in the group of apparent aliens there. And there had been a period of time when I thought – I might have been drugged by it for some reason, and you know, that it was a hallucination. But when I telephoned him to, frankly, to accuse him of abusing me in this way, <laughs> uh, 
there was a reason for it. I had published a book called War Day a few years before okay. that had really riled up the administration at the time. Mm. And I had been warned by Senator Kennedy's, one of Senator Kennedy's staffers, that I might be the victim of dirty tricks, which mm. we had assumed would be tax, you know, the, what used to be called political tax audits, which mm. are no longer mm -hmm. done, but they were very common in those days. Mm -hmm where people were punished by being audited to death and that sort of thing. And How lovely. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an abuse that's been corrected. I think it's illegal, illegal now, but it's not done anymore, to my knowledge. In any case, um, I thought it was no tax audit. They drugged me, and he was in on it. That's why I remembered his, his presence there. Uh -huh. So I decided to telephone him. And I phoned him, and his line was disconnected. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's not surprising. So I phoned his brother, and his brother said, Whitley, this was now about early March or late February of 1986. Okay. He said, he's been dead for a year. He died last March. Oh, my. I was seeing a dead person there. And he seemed real, real to you? He seemed entirely real. We even wow. talked. Oh, my goodness. Fairly extensively, actually, and uh, uh, that that was, didn't even give me an inkling of what was to come. <laughs> but then it started to happen again at the cabin to other people, and then one day Annie walked out of her office and said what I think is one of the most important statements I have ever heard in my life. She said, "Whitley." She was reading letter after letter, and she and now her secretary, Laurie Barnes, were. She said, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that it was ordinary when you saw these strange little figures to also see dead friends and relatives. It reported again and again in the letters. And then I realized that I, I looked back over the the things that had happened and were happening at the cabin and my experience on that night. And I realized that it, when these little beings are around, the veil between the living and the dead is not there. Oh, yeah, well, you just answered my question. Interesting. Well, that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So that's the connection. So there's something about the aliens being present that lifts or parts the veil between our world and the afterlife. Yeah, they don't have that, oh. that, that barrier. And um, they, when we're with them, we don't have it either. And what they are is an enormous question in my mind. I wouldn't necessarily think that they are aliens. Okay. I'm, I'm very mystified by them. I, I, I've had, gosh, I've been all over the lot as to what I think they are. Mm -hmm. From the very beginning in the book Communion till now, I don't think that anyone has ever been absolutely certain of what they are. What do they say they are? Who? <laughs> How do they describe what themselves? What a good question. I've asked <laughs> that many times. I'll give you uh, a way how they 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 love questions and they love to leave them open uh for example one time i had a brief meeting with three of them they often travel in threes okay and um i was struggling through an enormous author tour for communion and it was very difficult because the media was pretty harsh, mm, to be honest, yes. and mm -hmm. and most people who were listening to me were, think thought I was a liar, and I was being made a joke of, and it was it was rough, it was real rough. I can imagine. And they showed up, and I thought, my goodness, I've got a chance here to ask a question, and I thought, I said, what, how am I doing? Because I was just, I was doing sometimes 10 shows in a day. And I really wanted to know if I was having any positive effect. Mm -hmm. And all three of them answered at the same time, <laughs> each one saying something slightly different. I couldn't understand a word and then they disappeared. Huh. 
And the answer, the, 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 the answer is you keep your questions open. That was what Annie, as soon as I told Annie about this, she said, well, that's the, the message. The message is keep the question open. Mm-hmm. And th- that's the fundamental message here about them. Mm-hmm. They want the question kept open. They don't want it to be answered. Interesting. I wonder why they don't want to be identified in any way. Because as long as we keep the question open, our minds grow as we explore that question. And my my understanding of the world around me has increased enormously because of my relationship with them and they have remained enigmatic the entire time. And if, if I knew what they were and where they were from, that question would be closed Mm -hmm. and I would stop growing in, in directions that are very, very beneficial to me. Hmm. That's why they keep the question open. Interesting. What just came to me is I I wonder if that has anything to doers related to, um, you know, when we incarnate, we, we lose memory of, of who we really are, you know, who our soul is, our, our, yes. our, our soul family and, and that whole other side of, you know, the other side of life. It, it maybe it's, it's a similar kind of reason. It is similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we have to, we have to lose that because a, a body is a machine that is taking the soul through in into and through the time stream. While we are in the physical world, everything is always new. Moment to moment, it is always new. When we are outside of the time stream, and, and because it's new, we always have a choice that never ends during the whole time of the physical life. And we, as we make those choices, we gain energy. Hopefully we don't have to, you can make choices that sap energy, of course, but the more choices that we make that enable us to gain energy, the better off we are and the more purpose our life has and the more reason we have for living it because we are feeding our souls. Mm Mm-hmm. But as soon as we come out of the time stream, we no longer can change. We are, that's how we are at that time. And this is why we reenter it so often because we come out of it and we see that there are things that we could do that, that might, might increase our energy and help us on this extraordinary journey we're on. And so we return and go into a physical body again, in some cases, Mm-hmm. We have no choice. I, I mm-hmm. knew a man. I, I saw him die and uh, return, be forced into a body. Uh, he was a a friend. You mean like a childhood. walk-in? No, no. He no. was oh. a childhood friend. Oh, okay. And a, a pretty famous man mm-hmm. and um, not a good man. He, mm-hmm. he was, not to put too fine a point on it, a skillful criminal ah. who had enriched himself at the expense of others for many years. Mm-hmm. And coming from the background I come from, I, I'm very open to people. I, you know, I wouldn't reject someone's friendship simply because they were not a good person. I would always try to hope that their, their friendship with me would draw them in a better direction. And to some extent, perhaps that happened. I don't know. Mm-hmm. In any case, he, we were, we were with his family in when he was in an, in an operating room and the surgeon was a performing an emergency heart surgery that was not expected to succeed. And suddenly he came walking out of the operating room and stood there staring at us. And I said to Anne, he just died. And she said, how do you know? She, I said, because he's standing right in front of the operating room doors. I can see him perfectly clearly. Whereupon he disappeared, but he was taken by someone. And I could see now this was not 
physical. It was in my mind's eye. Okay. I could see him being taken. I could see him being rushed into the body of a just forning baby girl in India. Oh and he goodness. is there now. That is his reincarnation. And the reason this was done was that if he had so quickly, if he had really looked at himself, he would have fallen off he completely and maybe never regained any balance. But he had done good things in the world, too. Mm -hmm. He had brought a beautiful family into the world and had been loyal to them and good to them. And they were all going to live fine lives because of him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was he was not a total loss. He was a mixed bag. And what was being done to him seems awful, when you, except when you think that the alternative of just letting him be, he would have faltered altogether. Mm-hmm. And so now he's in his, I guess, in his late 20s. And I've been told by some entities that if I go to India, I will inevitably encounter him. Mm. But I have decided that I don't want that. Because on a soul level, I'm not so sure that an encounter like that would help him. Mm-hmm. or her now mm-hmm. because it would em- cause to emerge uh desires from the old life that ah. he has never tasted okay. in this life and th- this person has no way to taste mm-hmm. but then suddenly it would bring forth ambitions and dreams that they might try to fulfill to their cost interesting now it's it's not common for people to reincarnate that quickly, is it? I don't think so. Yeah, no, it was, either. it was an urgent situation and mm-hmm. he didn't do it. It was done for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was rushed into this situation because had he looked at himself, he would not, I, I, what I'm not sure because I've never seen, well, I have, I, but I just, I guess more accurately, I simply don't wish to talk about it, okay. but people who who can get into trouble because their lives were not well lived uh, can have experiences after they are no longer sheltered by a body that are very difficult let me put it that way hmm. but he he was not a bad enough man to become entangled in that that's why he was rescued got it mhm so, Whitley, why do you think you have been, shall I say, blessed <laughs> with all of these experiences and the, this contact with whoever they are? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think about that. As you said earlier, uh, we're not in touch necessarily with our soul families, mm-hmm. and I'm no different. I have seen all of my past lives, and there have been an embarrassingly large number of them. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, I'm here to do this, and I set out to do it, and I am doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and when I say this, I mean it's spreading a certain type of energy, mm-hmm. uh, which certain people are receptive to. That's why I'm on your show, because a lot of your listeners are receptive to this energy, right. or they wouldn't be listening to you. They'd be tuning you out and saying, oh, that's a load of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But it's not a load of nonsense. We live in a very, very big world, and it's possible to experience more of it, and therefore certain souls can enrich themselves even more. And this is what I want to do what I can to help with. Because we live, as one of the visitors once put it to me, you are so very poor, meaning we, the people of this world, are very poor. Mm-hmm. And we're poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. We see little. Mm-hmm. and uh, But the reason is not that something's wrong with us, but that we are actually, in one other way, in another way, extremely rich. Because the experience we have here of being constantly bombarded by the new every second, every moment is always new here mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. 
that is richness unparalleled. Mm -hmm. So uh, we may be very poor in our awareness of the larger world in which we live, but in terms of the gathering of experience and the potential for change and growth, we are as rich as Cretius here. It's an interesting perspective. I like that. You know, and I, I was thinking about the way you were received or not received when your book came out. And, you know, I'm, I'm just constantly amazed as to how closed-minded people can be and how they're afraid of what they don't understand. And, you know, everything's a conspiracy theory and, you know, everything. Yeah, I, it just, it, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, well, you know, nowadays people want to, uh, increasingly they they would prefer to believe their own uh, expectations and desires rather than the facts. And we know the facts in most of our, most are very well in our world, but a lot of people just choose not to accept that. Mm -hmm. And they pay the price. Mm -hmm. The price is very simple. I mean, you, 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 you ignore the facts and you suffer the facts, mm. period. That's an interesting um, statement. You ignore the facts and you suffer the facts. I like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, you were, uh, what was, uh, what did I read? You, you started having a, a new group of encounters and encounters with a new group. What was that about? Well, you mean encounter I in 2015, Anne passed away and I started having encounters with Anne mm -hmm. okay. after she died okay. immediately. Okay. Uh, she, she died at about seven 30 on, uh, August the 11th, 2015. Okay. And I was having dinner with my wife and I mean, my, my uh, son and his wife okay. in the next room. And suddenly I heard her in my mind say, Whitty, I'm dying right now. And she was in a coma and I ran in, lay beside her, put my hand on her heart and her heart stopped beating after about 10 beats. Mm -hmm. And then a moment later, she was there and rising, and I went with her. She rose into the most beautiful blue I've ever seen in my life, mm -hmm. looking back at me. And I was, in, I was intent on guarding her in the journey through the lower levels of this, where there are, well, you've probably read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's, mm -hmm. it's. It's a place where good people have no trouble, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be sure that she had no trouble. I had been her, her lover and her caregiver and all the years of her illness. And, uh, I, I just stayed with her and went with her mm -hmm. and she went higher and higher. And then I was stopped. You remember the silver, less the silver cord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm be snapped or the golden bowl be broken. Well, the silver cord's quite real and it <laughs> held me to a point and she continued on. And in that moment, I felt the grief of loss very profoundly mm. and also a sense of triumph because I knew I was watching a real ascension of a really good soul. Oh. And then I was back in the physical world and the life continued on. Uh, she was taken by the funeral people mm -hmm. away. And I was sitting in the living room, just staring off into space and thinking to me, to myself, Annie, if you're still here in any way and can communicate, please let me know. And the phone rang mm -hmm. and it was a friend who said, Whitley, I just heard Anne's voice in my ear as clear as I, it could be telling me to call you. Is she all right? Mm 
<laughs> I said, Belle, she's not all right. She died just mm. about an hour and a half ago. And we spoke together for a moment. And then the next day, my kids took me out to the desert to a hotel and uh, to get away from the house for a few days. Mm. And uh, uh, I was sitting on a bench in a, in a, in a mountain, on a mountain, they were out hiking with their children and my cell phone rang and it, it was well within cell coverage. It wasn't a miracle that it rang mm -hmm. and I answered it. And it was another friend. This was Claire Henry from a Nashville who said, Whitley, I just had the oddest thing happen. I heard Anne, and I was sitting there again asking Anne to contact me. I heard Anne say to me to call you, just as clear as if she was in the room. <laughs> and this went on and on, and I vaguely remembered that there, on the perhaps the same day that Anne had come out of her office and said, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. Mm -hmm. We had made a pact that the first one of us to go would contact the other one, if it's possible, through friends, not directly, because she being the type of person she was and me being the type of person I am, we would both discount a direct contact. Uh-huh. Okay. And she mm -hmm. was too skeptical and I was too, um, I would think my imagination might be mm -hmm. running away with me sure. because I'm a, I'm a, a writer of novels after all. <laughs> so, um, in, including true, true, true stories, but nevertheless novels mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So I realized that she was apparently doing this and it went on for a while. And then I realized I could actually hear Annie as indeed I can right now. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, <laughs> she says, you're doing fine, Whitley. Don't bring me into it. <laughs> and she's got a lot going on. She's, first of all, no longer is she. After Annie died, one of the first things she says said was, I'm not Anne anymore, but I'll be Anne, always be Anne for you, because that life was done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now she's got another life going. The soul has got another life going, but it's not a woman. I mean, she's in a, her new incarnation is a, is a child, baby and a boy. Ah, okay. And, mm -hmm. um, it's very interesting because I know this boy. Oh, interesting. I know his parents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a very unusual situation indeed. Mm -hmm. The parents don't know that I have had a relationship with this soul before, but this baby sure does. Oh, interesting. He certainly does. How, how so? Well, I'm not a family member, but I am absolutely his pride and joy. When <laughs> I go into their house, that little guy is in my lap, immediately gazing into my eyes. Oh. And I know who it is, uh -huh. of course, because I know the soul behind very well. Mm -hmm. And that soul is still in, still in contact with me it every is. day. In fact, right now, as I said. Uh -huh. So that's interesting. So, the soul can stay in contact even though they've reincarnated. The soul is outside of the incarnation. The right. incarnation is like a projection into time. But as the person gets more complex and gets older... The soul is, of course, more and more involved and engaged in the life. Mm -hmm. And so Annie's connection to me isn't as strong as it was at first because she's busy now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she's, she, I say, I think of her as a she and I always will. <laughs> sure. But the soul is busy and it's, it's having this other life. And, and as this little one gets more complex, uh, more and more of that soul's attention is engaged in the life. And mm -hmm. that's how it should be. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm talking about? I'm yes. talking about living the way the little gray people live. They don't have a, a barrier between the living and the dead at all. And we're, we're coming as a species into a time when we will not have that barrier either for many of us. That would be and wonderful. It's, it, 
it starts with people like you and your listeners. That's where it starts. And it will grow from there. Hmm. This is why you may have a small podcast. I don't know, but it's important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very important. The seeds being planted here. Right. Whitley, I just had a thought of a question that I hadn't thought of before. Can a soul be incarnated into more than one body at the same time? Oh, yes. Ah, Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Indeed. Um, And, oh, listen, this universe is much more complicated than we realize. (laughs) It has very little linearity to it. Mm -hmm. It is much more like a weave. The universe, I saw an article recently in, I guess it was in a science website, comparing the structure of the universe to the structure of a brain, to the neurons in a brain. And they looked the the same. And, you know, it's as above, so below. We Mm -hmm. really are Mm -hmm. precisely very much a reflection of this enormous, complicated, ever-changing and ever-expanding universe. So, yes, is the answer. Emphatically so. Okay, so how can we nurture this ability or open this so that we can evolve into into this way of being so that we have this kind of connection what can we do the visitors i work with taught me long ago that there are three pillars to a strong soul okay they are love compassion and humility they started by teaching me a about humility. And then I learned love by being in a marriage that was a real marriage and really was full of love. Mm -hmm. And then as Annie used to always say, this life is about joy. And if you don't know the difference between joy and happiness, it's this. You get a new TV, you're happy. Mm-hmm. When you look into the a baby's eyes, you're experiencing joy. Mm-hmm. And th- that's the difference. And it's, you know, you see it in, with kind of clarity. She was a, a what I, I call a hidden master. She was an absolutely extraordinary soul. Mm-hmm. It was hidden kind of in the world. Nobody, you know, when we were together, we had a, a very intense and tight relationship. And I learned from Anne what it was to live as a good soul. Uh, The visitors had taught me at the beginning about humility and that I learned from Anne and from living with Anne and being Anne's husband, what love was really all about, that it is a matter not of receiving, but of giving. Mm. Uh, you, you, you let, you open yourself and assume that whatever you need will be given to you by the, by your lover and you give whatever you can to your lover and understanding your lover's needs. Mm-hmm. If you live like that, your marriage lasts a long time. <laughs> if you both do in any case, the other thing that was so important of those three things was compassion. And so love, compassion, and humility. But what is compassion? Well, we think of it, oh, well, it's giving a quarter to a beggar or giving money to the food bank or this or that. That's, that's not it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of it, certainly. Mm-hmm. But Annie summed it up in one of the great lessons that I received in, from her after she died. She said, when I asked her, what is compassion? She said, each of us is all we have. Mm-hmm. And when you look at yourself and at others in that light, all of a sudden, all of the judgment, all of the egotism, everything falls aside. And you see this other struggling being just like you trying its best by its own lights to journey through the world. Mm. And you extend that 
to everybody you see, and compassion becomes a spiritual practice of the highest order. But it is hard because it makes your heart ache, ache to really see people in their need and their helplessness as they really are. Mm. Wow. Whitley, that's, that is a really important <laughs> statement there. I think, um, it's, I, even for myself, I try so hard not to be judgmental and, you know, but it, it comes through and, um, yeah, sure it does for, you're not alone. <laughs> I mean, if, listen, if we were angels, we wouldn't need to be here, right? <laughs> We're no angels here. And thank goodness, because we have a chance to change. Mm -hmm. We have a chance to grow. We have a chance to become more energetic. And one of the, the compassion is the absolute key to this. Uh, and there's very little of it in the world. So when you live from compassion, two things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to feel very alone. But then when you discover others who are living from compassion too, you're going to find friends that you never even knew you had. Mm -hmm. Whitley, do you have any tips for people how, you know, ways that they can try to be more compassionate, things that they could do or, you know, I mean, everybody always says meditate, but, you know, what, what might be some things that for someone who really wants yeah. to be more compassionate and just has a hard time? Yeah, well, there's a simple way to do this. Um, uh, be as a little child. Mm. Uh, you know, be be a child in yourself. And you you can't judge others because you know then from the child within you that you can't, you don't know how. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, judge not yet lest ye be judged is so true. We have no business judging others. But we all do it because it's part of the social contract. You can live in a different way where you make the necessary judgments, not because uh, you don't like this person's politics or this, that, or the other thing about this person, mm -hmm. uh, but because you must. And I, I give you an example. Okay. When Jesus says, love your enemies, People think, oh, well, what in the world does that mean? Mm -hmm. It means, it means that you transform your judgment into acceptance of the presence of a danger. You don't, you don't, you know, you, the, the, there may be a person who's got something about them that you don't like and you don't think you want anything to do with. And that may be true. But you don't judge them. You simply mm. accept the fact that there's a danger there for you. Okay. And that's that's what it means. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, then then you ask the 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 question is well what about if you get slapped down mm. when you turn the other cheek? That doesn't mean to be mild. Right. It means to accept reality. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Mm hmm. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, yeah. I mean, because it's a. Now, I just wrote a book about Jesus, and uh, I haven't published it yet. I'm going to publish it in January, I believe, and uh, it's a completely different vision hmm. of his teaching. There's a there's a whole other vision of the teachings of Jesus, and it, it's a it's very valuable and important stuff. But it has been so buried beneath layers and layers of religious doctrine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that it's, you know, we see it through the lens of all of this doctrine and we reject it or we accept it or we look at the, the history of religion and the Christian church and it's got such a dark history in many ways. And, right. uh, and some of us see that and others see the different side of it, the lightness that's also present in it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was a remarkable teacher here, mm -hmm. and his teaching has been turned into a set of beliefs mm. when it was not that. Right. It was a group of questions mm -hmm. and challenges. Mm -hmm. 
and when you re-imagine it as it was, I think, probably intended to be understood in the first place, everything changes. Everything changes. Mm. And all of a sudden, all of this stuff that's going on with these religions becomes very strange. Mm -hmm. Yes, I find them strange. <laughs> well, me too. I think we all do pretty much. Well, that that should be a, a good book. This sounds like something you've have you you and uh, William Henry talked about these things together? No, no, we haven't. <laughs> oh, interesting, uh, because we, I do follow his work. Yeah, he's a lovely man. He is. Uh, William Henry had a show on my website, unknowncountry.com, mm -hmm. for years, and uh, the whole archive is there. So you go to the website and put William Henry into the search engine, and you'll find all kinds of wonderful interviews he did with many people. He's a marvelous man. Mm-hmm. And, but no, we're not working together on the Jesus book at all. Mm -hmm. I've been, I work pretty much with my own wife, with the soul that, that was Anne. Uh -huh. And that's who I worked with on this book. Right. Okay. So that brings me to the next question then. How can we, what do we need to do to build a relationship with those on the other side? Cause I'm sure everybody knows someone who has passed. Uh, who would like they'd like to rekindle a relationship with, and you obviously have an amazing relationship that is continuing on with your wife. What can the rest of us do to try to build this kind of relationship? Well, you know that's a, a hard question. Mm. Uh, I do a specific exercise called the sensing exercise. It's it's not a meditation. Okay. But it's rather a matter of placing the attention on the sensation of the body. And what this does is it the etheric body or second body, which is which is starts in the nervous system and becomes finer, that's when you go out of your body, that's that's who goes. Okay. That will begin to glow when the attention is placed on on it. And you you do that by placing your attention on your physical sensation on the sensation of the body, which is being transmitted at all times to the brain by the nervous system. And when this glow starts, you, you can be seen in other levels of reality because it's a, it's not a glow you'll see in this level of reality, but it is a glow that is perfectly visible in others. Oh, interesting. And you may attract the interest of teachers or if you have loved ones who are still uh, looking back at you, you may attract their interest, but it takes a long time. It took me, I, I didn't know what would happen to me until the visitors initiated me in 1985, but I had been doing the exercise since 1970. Oh, I, I learned it in the Gurdjieff foundation in mm -hmm. New York mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. based on the work of a man called GI Gurdjieff, mm -hmm. who is extremely inaccessible. And you can learn more about his work by reading a book called the in search of the miraculous Mm -hmm. But it's a long, hard journey. It ain't easy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you sit down and you do the sensing exercise a couple of times and nothing happens and you forget about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to think of it in terms of years. And if you're a very old person, you it may happen more quickly if it is intended and needed. Okay. If it's needed for you to happen, it will happen. But if it's not needed in your life, then... It won't, but the exercise is very healthy anyway, so mm, mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt to try. So so would it be like, just to help people, uh, like would you start with your feet and just focus on the muscles in your feet and then come up your body and just focus on no, each no, part? No, you, you focus, it's very simple. I'll, I'll give you a little example. Okay. What, I do it. I do it at, at 11 p.m., at 3 a.m., I do it at 1 p.m. with a group of friends, and then I do it at about 3 in the afternoon in the sunlight. Okay. So Because I want to do it in the dark and in the light. Okay. Um, and I always start, not always, but I start with my fingers or my feet. Let's, we'll, I'll give you an example. Okay. You, 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 to start, you, you close your eyes, and what you're going to do is you're going to amplify the sensation of the various parts of your body by placing your attention briefly there. Okay. So you start by 
placing your attention on the sensation of your, the toes of your left foot. Okay. Then of the ball of the foot, mm -hmm. the arch and heel. I'm doing it as we talk. Mm -hmm. I am too. <laughs> the top of the foot. And then the whole foot. And the change is subtle, but it's there. You sense it. You, you're more aware of it now. There's definitely a difference between the right and the left foot now. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you move up the leg, up to the ankle and calf and shin. Not much sensation in the shin, so you have to be careful there. Then the knee and the top of the leg and the thigh and the hip. The whole upper leg. And now the whole leg from the hip to the toes. And you do it with the other leg. And then with your fingers and hands and arms. Then you, you go up your spine and you can move from chakra to chakra if you wish. And or not, or you just move up your spine if you don't, if that's not your interest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then include your head and your face, chest and abdomen. And then you go to your center of gravity, which is somewhere above the navel. Mm -hmm. And from there, you spread your attention out into your whole body again. Mm -hmm. And you find that the sensation is amplified. Mm -hmm. You stay in that state. And, you know, you, you might sit like that for, when you're first starting for a few minutes, five minutes or so, and uh, your mind will take you back to your thoughts again and again. Mm -hmm. And whenever you remember to come to include your sensation again in your attention, you thank your mind because it's given you some work and made you stronger mm -hmm. by taking you away. And, and then you find your way back again. Mm -hmm. You do that and, and it's difficult at first. And, you know, people, we live in a consumer society, so people expect results if they make an effort. <laughs> <laughs> and generally, you won't get any results. It'll just be the effort itself. But over time, you'll find two things happen. First, your energy level will increase. And second, your general health will certainly increase if you do this. Oh, Along with this, there is the importance of study, of mm -hmm. uh, all of the religious disciplines and, and, and the spiritual disciplines have value. Mm -hmm. uh, Zen uh, is a wonderful study at the, to study the 10 ox herding pictures of Zen and to really contemplate how they work in your life or mm -hmm. to get into the exploration of koans mm -hmm. or to study the Gurdjieff system or if you want to get into the Gurdjieff work, uh, just Google Gurdjieff, mm -hmm. G-U-R-D-J-I-E-F-F, -F, and you might find a, a, a that in your own area there is a group. Mm -hmm. And if so, you can join it. And uh, conceivably, well, it's not easy because, you know, will is at the center of the Gurdjieff work, and will is about persistence. Mm. You have to mm -hmm. persist. Mm -hmm. And they will make you persist. <laughs> they, you know, you can't just, oh, I'm interested. I'll come over to a meeting. It's not that easy. But they will They will eventually, if you're persistent, uh, they will find a place for you. Uh -huh. uh, I know people who have been in the work. I've been in the work for 50 years. And I know other, I have friends who have been in the work longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will never not be in the work. I'll, my life is in my is my work, and so was Annie's. Mm -hmm. Even though we're not in a group anymore, mm -hmm. uh, we you know I have another group. I mean, I have the visitors. I have her. <laughs> so right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm pretty well serviced. I I'm not in living in a place where there's a group nearby is the reason. Well, it sounds like after a, a period of time, it just becomes a part of who you are too. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It becomes a part of who you are, but it never becomes automatic. It's always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Oh, this is, I, I mean, I could go on forever, but I know that you have, uh, your, your time is very, very precious and it's uh, very scheduled. Well, well it's, <laughs> it, it's not all that precious, but it is heavily scheduled. That's for sure. Um, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? 
uh, how can they contact you or do your website? Uh, maybe uh, give a little well, information. Well, they can go to my website, unknowncountry.com. Okay. And they can always contact me there. It's You can subscribe and pay for a subscription if you want to, to listen to the archives. But there's also a very active free message board if you would prefer that. Okay. And I'm involved in the thing. I'm there all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as my books are concerned, The Afterlife Revolution and New World are bookstores and certainly on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and so forth. I would say that, though, that it's a very much of a life, how one chooses to go through life. We have in this world of ours so much intensity and extremism and the left and the right Mm. and the politics Mm -hmm. of this and that and Mm -hmm. here and there all over the world. But Annie, who lived life in a different way, used to always point to a sermon of Meister Eckhart, the Mm, great mm -hmm, mm -hmm. theological leader of the 14th century. And the title of the sermon is God Laughs and Plays. (laughs) And laughter is the seat of consciousness. It is, this is not a serious world. That's why Buddha's laughing. Mm. And um, this, as soon as you can laugh, you can grow. That's the beginning of the journey. Mm -hmm. And as she always said, always, the two two words that the visitors, the good visitors I am privileged to have in my life, said to me in clear air language, normal language, Mm -hmm. were have joy. And that was Anne's motto. Have joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Find it. It ain't easy, but sometimes, it's there. Yeah, sometimes it's not easy. So what I hear you saying is that if we think it's serious, it's because we're making it serious. It's not. Yeah. and Oh, and you'll find in the Gurdjieff work, everybody's making it very serious. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. Uh, that's the, the most of the people in the work haven't, you know, they're mostly younger in the work. Mm. 10 and 20 years, but when you get to be a 50 year veteran, like I am, you're definitely going to be pretty amused by a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. well, um, and I know that people who have had true enlightenment experiences think the whole thing is funny. (laughs) Well, you know, there's something I would like to leave you with. And I, unfortunately I do have to go. Uh, it is this, it is what Annie said after she died when I asked her what is enlightenment and she said enlightenment is what happens when there is nothing left of us but love nice that is an excellent way to end yes indeed okay well thank you so much thank you thank you so much Whitley I really appreciate who you are and and all all you do for humanity and I really appreciate uh, us having this conversation well thank you Mm -hmm. thank you so much Whitley Strieber for sharing your insights and experience with us I hope in these challenging times that this knowledge will give some of you inspiration and comfort the podcast website is realjanine.com and remember Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N Go to your favorite podcast provider to subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine. And if you're a fan of YouTube, there are video slideshows of all my conversations. Do you know someone who would enjoy my conversation with Whitley Strieber? Please help out and share with friends and family. We'll all appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.